0: Unicorn
1: Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm
0: George. And I'm Jeff. And guess what, guys? We're going to do a live from the interweb show really soon. Aren't you excited? I'm excited. Ooh, are we celebrating anything specifically or? Um, we're going to celebrate our 61 week anniversary by the time we do the live from the interweb show. So that's the reason we're celebrating, right? Wow, what
1: do you get somebody on their sixty-one week anniversary?
0: Uh I think that is uh the Unobtainium
1: anniversary.
0: Oh. Tanium, nice. No, wait, so, wait, thirty-eight week anniversary. I think I said it was Unobtainium. Well, we'll just say
1: it again. That's fine. Well, might as well. I mean, we're gonna have to do something with all all, all that unobtanium from the animal kingdom gift shops. Yeah, the, I mean, it's just gonna be sitting there for a while. So high shelves, maybe. Yeah, sure. Sorry, little kid, you can't get that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's why they call it unobtainium.
1: Uh, Yeah, very uh, good. No, it's terrible. Terrible. It is. It is. That's okay. So any more details about the show or just pay attention to our Facebook page?
0: Uh, We're going to do it on Monday, March 11th. Uh, It's going to be live on the internet, and it's going to be at 9.30 p.m. Walt Disney World time and 6.30 p.m. Disneyland time. So that's... Eastern. In the middle, they have to figure it out themselves. Yeah, because we no, we don't live in the middle, nor do we know anyone in the middle. I'm sorry. So, theme parks in the middle of the country, so does it matter? Listen, I'm not really good at the whole time zone thing. Uh, my head hurts just talking about time travel to begin with. So, you know, 9.30 Eastern, or Walt well, Disney World, 6.30 Disneyland time. Good enough for me. Um, we also, we're going to do it on live stream, so you guys can actually interact with us as we do the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we have a live stream channel. It's called it's at a uh, live dot com slash weekly. You can sign up. Um, you have to actually sign up if you want to interact in the chat room with us. So while we do the segments, you can interact with us and we can interact back with you. I think that'll be fun. But that's scary and scary. We We did a test show last week and we had like 20 people watching and we were like, oh, we didn't prepare anything. Let's just <laughs> let's make some phone calls. We still had fun anyway, but this yep. time we'll actually prepare stuff. So you guys should totally come check it out again. Monday, March eleventh, nine thirty Walt Disney World time, six thirty Disneyland time. And uh, keep keep an eye on the Facebook page, and you know we'll continue to talk about it every week until it happens because you know we like to talk about things we're gonna do over and over and over and over again.
1: It's time for Disney history.
0: Toy Story is one of those films that some of us quite literally grew up with. You know, we aged and developed at the same time as Andy, uh, you know, the the child in that film. And we we really felt every emotion he did connected with his toys over the years. And I'll definitely admit that when he passed his beloved toys on at the end of the third film, uh, it was like one of the most heartfelt, emotional moments I ever watched. And I cried. So, you know, so sue me, okay? I cried. Deal with it. That's okay. You can be a big baby every once in a while. That's every right. once in a while, especially when it comes to Toy Story films. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about what a big baby I was.
1: We're here to talk about Toy Story and how it came to be to begin with. Well, in 1988, John Lasseter, as we know, is the co-founder of Pixar and former Walt Disney animator and Jungle Cruise skipper, and, well, just goes on and on. And uh, John Lasseter and Pixar, Pixar wrote, produced, and directed a short film called Tin Toy. This short was about a little toy named Tinny, who reluctantly allowed a baby to play with him so the baby wouldn't cry. Was the baby named Jeff? It might've been a big baby. He's wearing a diaper. Probably. Big, gigantic diaper. Anyway, this was the fourth Pixar film to be made using only computer animation, and it won the 1988 Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. In the
0: 90s, Disney actually approached John Lasseter about creating a sequel to Tin Toy as a Christmas special. Now, Pixar, they actually thought that six minutes wasn't enough, so they asked Disney if they can make it a 30-minute film instead. Now, when the then-president of Walt Disney Studios, Peter Schneider, heard about this, he suggested they actually make it a full-length film instead, much to everyone's surprise. And the new
1: movie, its working title was Toy Story. And and realizing that Tinny wasn't a well-thought-out enough character for Toy Story, were really a good enough name. John Lasseter changed him to a more developed one, uh, this time as a space ranger. This character was called Lunar Larry, but later his name would be changed to Tempest the Morph. <clears throat> and eventually Buzz Lightyear. So Lasseter didn't want to do a typical Disney fairy tale with songs. Instead, he wanted to do a buddy film. So a ventriloquist dummy known as Woody was created to be Buzz, Buzz's partner in crime. Of course, he would later become a stuffed cowboy doll. Now, as you know, in the
0: film, Woody is scared he'll be replaced by Buzz, who happens to be delusional and thinks he's an actual space ranger. Now, originally, Buzz was fully aware of the fact that he was a toy, and instead of being a military-like space ranger, he was actually a very easy-going and happy toy who only wanted
1: to impress his new owner named Danny. So when it came time to cast the roles, there was only one person Lasseter wanted for Woody, and that was Tom Hanks. Originally, when showed an example of what Woody looked like, Hanks didn't quite understand the character. He didn't think it was animation. He thought it was plasticine. He couldn't quite understand how the animation would work in the movie, but when he read the script, he knew he had to be involved with the film. Billy Crystal was asked to be Buzz Lightyear, but he declined, a decision he would later regret. Tim Allen, fresh from filming Home Improvement, was asked to be Buzz, and he accepted. When the head of Walt Disney Studios, Jeffrey Katzenberg, heard about this movie, he wanted a
0: little more edge to it. He wanted to make the movie uh, much more adult-like. So as a result, he reworked the character of Woody, making him into this very cynical and bitter toy who would berate and insult all the other toys and really would stop at nothing to have uh, Buzz Lightyear eliminated so he wouldn't take his place. And as a result, the movie started to really suffer. So Katzenberg took Peter Schneider aside and asked him why the movie was doing so badly. And Peter said that the movie, it wasn't... It wasn't theirs anymore. So he gave the movie back to Pixar, and they made Woody a likable character again. And at first, Roy E. Disney couldn't, get, he couldn't understand the appeal of the movie, but after watching the final cut, he told his wife that he, he totally
1: got it. The, the movie was an instant hit, and many praised this new form of animation. It was an instant classic. Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel both gave it two thumbs up, praising the computer animation and the buddy film storyline. John Lasseter got a special achievement Oscar for the film. It was the first fully computer animated films, and it was uh, truly groundbreaking in its achievements. Now, at this point, Pixar
0: was having some financial problems. Uh, They were in some really, really hard times. And around the same time, Disney was trying to coax John Lasseter back to their studio to direct the film um, most of the financial problems came from the fact that didn't uh, Pixar I'm sorry the Pixar didn't get any of the merchandising profit which as we know from George Lucas they, mm-hmm. that's that's where the money's made oh, obviously yeah. so Steve Jobs the chief executive of Pixar uh, at the time knew that they just couldn't be a production company anymore they really had to be a studio to save themselves so Toy Story turned from a $10 million dollar investment into a $100 million dollar profit, and Steve Jobs used this money to establish Pixar as a studio. Uh, Steve also told Disney that they would extend their 5 movie contract with Disney if they became
1: 50-50 partners in it, and luckily, Disney agreed. Oh yeah, in 1997, a sequel to Toy Story was being created. It was going to be a direct-to-video movie, there, but Disney saw the potential of the film and decided to release it theatrically. At the time, though, the story was pretty lackluster. Lasseter asked Disney if Pixar could redo the film from scratch. Disney declined, so Lasseter took it on his own to initiative to rework the film in the next nine months with the original team from Toy Story. They pitched the whole movie in a week, and co-directed. he co-directed the film with Lee Unkrich. Now, the film actually wound up being um, another
0: masterpiece, as we all know. It's a great, great movie. Excuse me, it's the only Pixar film to score 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it became one of the very few sequels to have been as good, if not better, than the original. Now, the film was animated by Pixar employees, but also by longtime Disney employee Floyd Norman. Um, Floyd was a story artist for Toy Story 2, and he helped come up with the, uh, the concept of Senorita Cactus, who would soon evolve into Jesse the Cowgirl. Now, Jesse was one of the most important characters... Uh, in the film because of her past. She was forgotten by her owner Emily after she grew up and because of this she wanted Woody to stay with her and Stinky Pete and Bullseye and not really wanting Woody to experience the same pain that she went through uh, with Andy. So even though Tom Hanks and Tim Allen knew everything about the film, when they sat down together and watched the movie uh, for the first time, they absolutely bawled during Jessie's flashback uh, scene which is one of the most heartwarming parts of the entire film the movie, Toy Story 2, it really defined who Pixar uh, were. It said that it was, the important thing wasn't the idea, it was the people behind it. And knowing this, Steve Jobs was actually a little worried that Pixar would divide into company divisions, and he knew that separating people like that was a bad idea. So he wanted one roof for all the employees, so he used his massive, massive amount of money <laughs> to create this new animation studio building to keep everybody together. And the new Pixar Animation Studios was built, and it represented the imagination inside children, and allowed each office that everybody had as an empty canvas for the employees to do whatever they wanted with it to make it their own space and their own creative, uh, you know, cre- creative office space.
1: By 2004, Pixar's relationship with Disney had soured over the argument of whether Toy Story 2 was one of the films included in the five-movie contract. Michael Eisner wanted to create another sequel to Toy Story, but the people at Pixar refused to cooperate. They knew that if a sequel was to be made, a great story had to be made. They had not come up with a good story at that point, and Eisner didn't care. So he went ahead and formed a division of Disney called Circle 7, which exclusively made Pixar sequels. Pixar was horrified. They felt that the original creators should carry on the sequels. Ed Catmull, co-founder of Pixar, said that it was like turning your baby over to someone else. Thankfully, uh, Eisner resigned in 2005, and Circle Seven actually
0: it just died out. And then the new CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, he purchased Pixar outright in 2006, and John Lasseter became the new Chief Creative Officer of Disney. Now, because of these newly improved relations, uh, plans for Toy Story 3 got underway. And when Eisner was in charge. The film was actually going to be about Buzz Lightyear malfunctioning and all the Buzz Lightyear toys being recalled back to Taiwan and the rest of Andy's toys had to go there to rescue him. But after the purchase of Disney, the film completely changed. Uh, It was written by uh, Pixar employees Andrew Stanton, who uh, directed Finding Nemo, and Michael Arndt. And all the original voice cast from the first two films that came back for this one, with the exception of Jim Varney, also known as Ernest P. Worrell, who Hmm. uh, unfortunately died of lung cancer in the year 2000. He was uh, replaced by Blake Clark, who was actually a good friend of Jim's, and he, he almost sounded exactly like uh, Jim Varney, so that worked out pretty well. Now, this film was to be the end of the Toy Story saga, and allowed people who watched the first Toy Story as children to reunite with their own childhood one last time before growing up with Andy. It's a great ending to a great saga, and this film was the ultimate nostalgia for many people who saw it, and I loved it. And you know what? I hope they keep it that
1: way. Even though you cried. I, I, I definitely cried. I think a lot of people cried. Yeah. Did you cry? What? What are we talking about? Is it time for my book of the week? Fine.
0: He's a, He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech.
1: Ah! It's George's book of the week. Jim Henson, The Works The Art, the Magic, the Imagination by Christopher Finch. This is a 1993 release that was published a few years after Jim's death. I've always been a huge Muppet fan, and when my wife ordered this book, I tore into it. It is a gorgeous, large book that measures 10 inches by 10 inches. Yes, that's a square. So uh, if you're a fan of Henson or any of his work, then you need to get this book as soon as possible. End of review. Well, yeah. I mean, really, honestly, that's all people need to know. It's about the Muppets. It's about Jim Henson. It's a great book. But i got a few more minutes I need to fill up anyway. I need <laughs> to get your time this week. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so there are a few more things to say it, uh, about the book, uh, but it's gonna be pretty apparent that this book is a must-have. Christopher Finch is the author, and you might recognize him as the author of the Art of Walt Disney book. The Henson book is similar in that it is very well researched, written, and presented. As expected, we follow Jim's career as he accidentally stumbles into puppetry and begins an amazing career. Most everyone has a favorite Henson character and project, and, it was, and as I was reading the book, I was consistently reminded of how many projects Henson worked on that had touched my life somehow. We read about Jim's early television projects in Washington, D.C. that included major commercials and regular television appearances. With Jim's next big jump to Sesame Street, when that happens, we start to see the pattern for Henson's life. He was involved in major technical advances, and always felt that children should be entertained, educated, and involved. The behind-the-scenes look that we get into Jim's career is more than just how the puppetry works. Honestly, the tech details are still hinted at more than anything else. But how the company grew and how Henson worked is the real meat. Like many of the greats of the 20th century, Henson was a true visionary, and that was always foc- he was always focused on the project, no matter what his level in the company. There's a page dedicated to the Eisner negotiations that took place before and after Henson's passing. It's also the same time Henson was creating and developing the magnificent Muppet Vision 3D attraction. The last part of the visually stunning book focuses on the growth and the changes in the Henson Company after Jim's death. Overall, the book is spectacular and sits proudly in my library. Finch offers incredible insights into the performers and the characters. And it's amazing to see all of Henson's work in one place. Uh, It's amazing, again, to compare the genius of Henson and Disney and how they influenced the world so profoundly. My only negative comment, there's not an index. It'd be nice to go back and hunt down specific things. But that's it. It is gorgeous, full-color, full-page photographs of the Muppets, of Henson and his associates at work. This is definitely a must-have. It's Jim Henson, The Works, The Art, The Magic, The Imagination by Christopher Finch. Yum, 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 yum. If you want to get to know your food, you gotta have a food
0: report.
1: Well, last November, when we were on our um, research trip, yes, research trip, trip, we had the opportunity to take plenty of meals together. And by far, I think one of the most amazing was the Whispering Canyon Cafe over at the Wilderness Lodge. Um, For many reasons, but first off, Let's talk about the food. and this is served family style. Yeah, it was
0: it was served on a skillet mm-hmm. and it was just, you know a hodgepodge of different things that were thrown on there that we had to share with everyone at our table, which really tested our boundaries because I never learned sharing in school guys. So Without
1: that still hasn't. Yeah, but, but that's okay. Uh, so they had they had ribs and a type of chicken. And a beef loin or something like that. And there was a fishy thing, which I didn't eat, and a really good sausage. Yeah, but they also had, you know, they had mixed
0: greens in there. They had beans. They had corn on the cob. They had cornbread. They had coleslaw. And I I like to consider myself a coleslaw connoisseur, if you will, because I have it everywhere. I do. I do. It's on my business card, actually coleslaw connoisseur, Jeff Humbug.
1: Night. And I I enjoyed their coleslaw. It was pretty good. Okay, well that's good. That's good. I think I think uh, my favorite part of the meal, of course, besides the company, if any of the people that were with us are listening, um, had to be the dessert. Uh, they bring the dessert out family style too, and I, it was hard to explain. It was in a uh, massive. Dish About the size of a large pizza.
0: I think it was another large scale skillet, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I guess it was a skillet. It really was. It was about the size of a large pizza, basically. Um, (laughs) Full of ice creams and different fruit. And there's an exact name for it, which I knew before we started the show. And now we totally forgot. Uncle. It's like an a la mode type thing. I know there are people yelling at us, but that's okay. because um, We can't hear them because they're in their cars driving and we're recording this. And then, um, basically, it was fantastic because you could pick whichever fruit you wanted, you know, raspberry, cherry, apple. Um, but it, it was pie. And it was pie. It was pie. Yeah, we, I think we, we
0: have to mention that. It was pie, but it was like four different sections of pie and each section was a different fruit. And uh, I didn't have any because I'm not really a dessert guy to begin with,
1: but uh, everybody
0: else did and they enjoyed
1: it about it but you know of course the people yelling at us the name of the pie or the dessert you know do they know what your epcot 94 opened probably not not. but anyway so the food was fantastic i enjoyed it enjoyed being at the wilderness lodge but that's not really what was amazing about this restaurant
0: i mean granted the food was really good and it was probably one of the best lunch i've ever had food wise and company wise but i think the level of interaction that the staff provides for you there granted this is not the only restaurant on Walt Disney World property where the staff interacts with you during your meal and goes above and beyond to I guess annoy you is the best way to say it but this is by far the most fun that I've ever had eating at Walt Disney World before
1: the first example um one of our uh, dining mates had her cell phone and was obviously updating her Facebook and one of the uh, hired hands came over and said, mm, is that your phone? And took it from her. He goes, you got the Book of Faces on here? Oh, I see you do. And updated her status on her phone.
0: Yeah, not only did he update her status, but he updated it to, hey, I found this lady's phone. If you know her, you should call it. And then literally for the next three days, she was getting phone calls from people going, hey, did you lose your phone? Did somebody find your phone? <laughs> did you get your phone back?
1: which was awesome and then of course there was the part where um, uh, Mr. Heimbach asked for ketchup
0: well I didn't need the ketchup but I was told that I had to ask for ketchup and I knew there was some kind of catch behind it and
1: ask for ketchup while you're there
0: yes yes
1: ask for ketchup while
0: you're there and they will give you ketchup and they will give you ketchup, yes. But I have to say, when somebody else asked for ketchup after us, we, you, and I made it fun. We made an assembly line to make it more fun, so we got into the act too.
1: was more, and that that they enjoyed it obviously, and that made it such a fun experience altogether. But by far. The most amazing part, maybe of the whole week we were there, was when we started arguing about who had made a mess on the table. I think first you had spilled some of the butter and That's what it was? I really—I don't remember what that fight was about, so I'm glad you remember that. It spilled mashed potatoes afterwards, so we both had spilled something, but we were arguing with each other. And one of the uh, waitstaff came over and said, all right, we're going to solve this like men. Her name was uh, Bridget. Yeah, her name was Bridget. So she walks us over, and I kind of had an idea what was going to happen. And, of course, Jeff, you're like, what? Are they going to take us outside? (laughs) We're standing in the middle of the restaurant, and everybody's, like, staring at us. So I'm like, what is going on? And they bring out a bucket, uh, a barrel, a barrel, and uh, then they line up a bunch of kids behind us. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. And (laughs) then they give us ponies to ride. Little wooden horses. It's, you know, the, the sticks with the, the horses on the head of them. So you've got two grown men holding these tiny little wooden ponies between our legs with about 10 kids behind us. And we were going to race to see who wa- was going to win the argument, basically. So I thought, oh, this is great. So we go off full steam around the restaurant, the outside of the restaurant, or oh, the outside of the inside. I know. And we make through the first lap. You're like, no, no, keep going. And we're like, what? And I'm like, uh oh, I haven't done enough cardio. Did we prepare for this? Well, we certainly got our cardio in there because we must have did probably like, uh I don't even know. In the last three, I did cut halfway through the rest. Ra- yeah, you cheated. So technically, that you know, yeah. I got to win, is I was tired and ready to go. But it was a fantastic thing. It, and what what made it so much more fun, being at the Whispering Canyon, was interacting. And playing with the the staff, the wait staff. Uh, they were awesome. They were loud. They were obnoxious. They were just like two podcasts we know. Yeah, Huh. I
0: mean, I don't. I didn't find them that obnoxious. I mean, if you can make that comparison.
1: They weren't that obnoxious. That's good. I
0: mean, there's really, there's nothing wrong with WWE Kingdom Cast. Like, I don't know why you're making fun of them like that.
1: There's like four hosts or five hosts there. I meant two. Oh, okay. So, oh, oh well, okay. I guess it comes down to that was the first time you'd ever eaten there. And it had been a few years since I did. Would you make the trip all the way to the Wilderness Lodge? to do Absolutely.
0: That? I would I would do it again in a heartbeat the next time I'm at Walt Disney World. I, I, I'm going to demand that I eat at that restaurant. Because I think I'm going to bring Alex. And I think Alex is going to enjoy it. And I'm going to make him ask for ketchup. I'm going to make him argue with someone about something. Just so he has these experiences too. Because it was great.
1: Awesome. So two thumbs up.
0: Two big Whispering Canyon thumbs up. Nice. Very, very
1: nice. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat.
0: <laughs> in December 1964, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Don Solon, and Jerry Jewell were invited to the Jack Parr show at NBC Studios in Radio City. The taping ran late and the guys had to spend about six hours in the dressing room.
1: That's where they noticed a closet and decided to investigate it. Yeah, so when they opened the closet, it was just full of pipes. And it was Jim's idea to decorate the pipes with some paint they had brought. Uh, One of the guys even took a cab back to the workshop to get more paint. The closet painting attracted a lot of attention through the years and still exists today. Now, the Muppet Vision 3D building at
0: Disney's Hollywood Studios can fill probably every 5-legged goat segment for the next couple of years, but just for this one we're gonna focus on this one for a second. If you head to the side of the building, you'll see lots of pipes that have been painted in tribute to that closet at Radio City Music Hall, and it's definitely worth your time to take a or two around the Studio One building and take in all the amazing and humorous 5-legged goats, and the next time a painting a Muppet painting crew comes by your house, um, maybe you should Pay them after to make sure they do a good job.
1: Unless you're into the multicolor thing, I mean that's cool too. Hey, that could work. Could be an improvement as long as it uh, still meets the covenants of your neighborhood association. There's witches in my neighborhood. Of course, of course. You didn't know that? I didn't. I didn't know there was covens here. Yeah, yeah. Always. Oh, well, that's scary. Anyway, we are so glad you guys made it to the end of another show. So we like to say thank you for watching, listening, and enjoying the show i love how you brought back the watching from last
0: week that's that's funny try If people they actually listen to the end they do because we got a lot of comments on that (laughs) anyway you should tell them they they should leaving us a comment yes please leaving a comment or rating us on itunes (laughs) i'm
1: emailing uh, that makes sense actually so always email us at Communicore weekly at gmail.com to tell us how much you love the words we make up every week you can also likening
0: us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Communicore Weekly. Yep. And don't forget to hang out on
1: the page to find out when we're going to do the live stream show. Yeah, we always yeah. always post cool stuff on there, too. So come on, like the page, guys. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Imagineerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck, So that means I'm George. And I'm Jeff.
0: Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.